Hello everyone, welcome back to the Depths of Music podcast. My name is Nick and I have a question for you. Have you ever been somewhere listening to some music with vaguely heavy and fast guitars and an older member of your family always asks the same question? Is this Metallica? While this question may be annoying to some of us who can differentiate between any music with distorted guitars, it stands as a statement of the sheer cultural impact of Metallica. Metallica is the most famous heavy metal band in the world and has quite an extensive discography to go along with it. Metallica started off as a pure thrash metal band. It was formed by drummer Lars Ulrich and lead singer James Hetfield. The roster went through quite a bit of shifts and changes as Metallica tried to find its footing back in those early days. Most notable was the firing of the lead guitarist Dave Mustaine, who would go on to form and front his own legendary metal band, Megadeth. Soon enough, Cliff Burton was on bass and Kirk Hammett was on lead guitar, uh, and they were added to make the most iconic lineup of Metallica. They recorded their first album, Kill 'Em All, which is a fantastic, aggressive, brutal thrash record. It's a little rough around the edges, but it's an extremely strong debut for the band. And Metallica would only continue to grow from there. Uh, their next record, Lightning, is an even greater step forward for the band and is one of my personal favorite, like, top five metal records of all time for me. It's really just incredible. They show their diversity with their usual thrash style, but also adding a bit more slower pieces in the form of, like, Fade to Black and their winding instrumental, The Call of Cthulhu. Their next album took this greatness and continued to run with it. Master of Puppets is considered by many to be the greatest metal album of all time. It's a thrilling ride of riffage from front to back. The composition on every song is essentially flawless, just like Ride the Lightning. Metallica at this point have thrash metal down to a science, and it seems that the band can do no wrong. Unfortunately, tragedy strikes one day when on tour they get into an accident. Kirk, Lars, and James were left pretty much unscarred, but unfortunately, bassist Cliff Burton passed away in the crash. The band faced a serious battle as they had to replace one of the greatest heavy metal bassists to ever live, and a core backbone of the band. Luckily, they find Jason Newstead, Uh, Pretty much the best replacement bassist that anyone could ever hope for. I mean, Jason is like an extremely underrated bassist. He's so good. And we'll get to that a little bit more when we talk about the Black Album. Uh, But they begin work on their third album, And Justice for All. In my opinion, the album is a step down from Master and Ride, and Justice for All is still loved by the fans, though, despite its flaws, mainly the mixing that renders the new Newstead's bassless pretty bass pretty much just inaudible uh one major single off the album also began to take headway on mbtv at the time it was the single one and it's really the first time that metallica ever began to taste mainstream success by kind of cutting their extremely long and complicated songs down to just a short time and this is kind of the mentality that will take them into their next album as Metallica headed back in the studio with legendary producer Bob Rock all signs seemed to point to the mainstream explosion of this band Metallica's self-titled album or as I will refer to it from now on the Black Album is one of the most divisive metal records to date Commercially, the record smashed. It's the 24th best-selling album of all time. It's certified 16 times platinum and the best-selling album of the past 25 years. I mean, those are 
ridiculous stats. I knew this record was popular before looking this up, but holy cow, the best-selling album of the past 25 years is, that's a stat. Okay, so, like, that's crazy, right? I mean, what do I mean to buy divisive when numbers that big? Well, this record sparks a debate in the metal community and the Metallica fan base that rages to this day. That being, is the Black Album and anything beyond that, beyond Metallica's 80s thrash output, even worth your time? While the shift from straight thrash to more radio hard rock is certainly kind of telegraphed uh, in like the execution of like one as a single and Injustice for All, uh, the leap from And Justice From All to the Black Album is certainly one heck of a jump. The riffs are slower, the drumming is far less technical, and in a lot of ways, hard to hardcore fans, this is the dilution of what made Metallica so good, and the watering down and neutering of what made Metallica good in favor of just more radio play. And to be honest, it only gets worse from here. So, on the anniversary of this record... Is it worth your while? Is this textbook selling out, or is this still worth your time as its own standalone rock record? Let's find out. Now, before we start, uh, I want to note that this is a full review of the Black Album, in celebration of the 20th anniversary of the record. Uh, I will be reviewing the Black Album as we know it now, and then in a few weeks when it releases... Uh, I can't remember exactly how long it is from the time of recording this. I will be taking a look at and discussing The Blacklist. Uh, the Blacklist is a giant compilation Metallica is putting out this year of various artists from all over the musical spectrum. We're talking country, reggae, rock, metal, pop, everything. Um, and they are all doing each individual covers of a song from The Black Album. It's like 70 songs. It's like four hours long, it's going to be a, a long review, but um, if you like this review and you want to see how these songs can be changed in the hands of new artists, and hopefully, you know, get an idea of some new artists as you explore these old familiar grounds through new lens, uh, make sure that you keep up with this podcast for hopefully that review. It's technically already in progress considering how many songs are out and how long that album is, I've already begun starting to get some thoughts down about it. So, um, I've kind of been living and breathing the Black Album for the past few weeks, uh, so it's been fun. So let's, without further ado, drive straight into the Black Album. So, the opening notes of Metallica's Black Album are the notes that many of the public would come to define the band by, and in a lot of ways, heavy metal as a whole for years to come. Enter Sandman is the lead single off the album, and one of, if not the biggest Metallica hit of all time, or metal hit of all time. While Overplay has definitely killed the song for many a metalhead, for a lot of people, this is the great way drug to this band and to metal. It's not their first song I fell in love with personally, we'll get to that later. But, in my opinion though, Regardless of overplay, Enter Sandman is still a fantastic raw song. The riff is pounding, intense, and it's instantly memorable. This is how that record opens, so Enter Sandman has to be a powerful first impression of what the Thrash Titans are here to do on this record. And in that way, I think it's also great. I think we see more of the radio and clean tendencies here, but there's still a bit of that edge to Metallica that they're known for. To me, while the instrumental side of things, I think it's great. I mean, that riff gets played in every guitar center for a reason. It's just that good. Uh, 
I think the biggest pitfall of Enter Sandman is its lyrics. The song is about the ideas of nightmares, that there are things that go bump in the night and monsters that haunt the dreams of children everywhere. It's kind of a cool concept, uh, but some of these lyrics just sound real weird coming out of big, gruff James Hetfield uh, with the whole, we're off to never, never land, and oh, and they are in Snow White, is just part of the bad James Hetfield impression, but those are real kind of eh, lyrics in general, and come really weird out of the guy who's like, two records ago, was screaming about obeying your master, and how terrible war is, it's, it's a little bit of a jump, I'm not gonna lie, and Metallica has always been a band that lyrically have kind of like taken themselves more seriously. This wouldn't seem too out of character for like Dio or like Judas Priest or Iron Maiden who kind of go into more campy and more like fantastical lyrics. But some of the more fantasy elements they add on to the Black Album kind of come off as a little corny, uh, especially looking back at it. Um, the whole bridge also is like incredibly cheesy. The whole where the vocal vocals come back in and they're all like hush little baby don't say a word it's like wild and you know this is a very full step back but man i i kind of just have to laugh and smile at the whole thing like especially the second verse is sung like completely incomprehensibly and honestly most times i would want to talk points for that but i think it adds a little bit to the song um realistically the riff and the chorus are what this song is it's that don't da 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 and it's exit lights that's that is what enter sandman is and it shows the new direction the band is heading through in a very strong way while overplayed to here in the moon i still do really love enter sandman and i think it's perception the way it's perceived and the way it sounds is a really good focal point you can take the argument about how people feel about Enter Sandman and the sound of Enter Sandman and apply it essentially to this entire album because it's kind of the same conversation. But I know it's it's not as technical as they may be used to be, but it's just so it's just a great rock song for me, Enter Sandman is. And maybe it's because I haven't been I wasn't alive at the time to hear it get overplayed to death. But yeah, I I really still love Enter Sandman. The next track, Sad But True, opens with an almost kind of like Black Sabbath-esque opening for a few seconds uh, before doing this thing. They do this a lot on this album, by the way, where they'll pause for a few seconds, and then we explode in the main riff. Donk, 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 do-do-do-do-do-do. Like, the guitar line is another, like, this is another top-tier Black Album lick uh, where that, met- that matches the energy that Enter Sandman brought very, very well. And it's a much heavier song. Uh, it reminds me a little bit more sonically of the older Metallica. It's not like fast like the old Metallica because that was a big key of them back in the day, and pretty much nothing on this album is like anywhere near that fast. But just kind of the, they're kind of always operating in like this like stomping march of a tempo for this entire record, and I think that still feels metal enough, just not thrash metal and a little different from how they used to be uh the bass and rhythm guitar are great background ba- uh backbone for the song that connects the drumming and the lead guitar i really like the lead line and how it kind of plays around with the rest of the 
main instruments. Uh, and I think the lyrics here are actually pretty excellent as well. Sad But True is about the vices that hold you down and how we're controlled by our demons and flaws. These flaws are what make us bad people and how we rely on them for whatever reason to survive. According to the band, that idea is sad but true. You know, they talk about basically just certain things, like particularly, you know, we, we know that the band was going through a lot at the time. Divorces and alcohol and anger issues. And, you know, I think the alcohol addiction is probably the best, like, kind of comparison you can compare to this. Like, how when you're addicted to, like, a substance... You crave it, you're controlled by it, but you know deep down it's completely destroying your life, and you don't like who you are, but it, it is it is who you are. It's it's sad but true. Um This record, along with being more straightforward musically, tend to be a little more lyrically straightforward than past Metallica albums. And Metallica has never really been super like super poetic they have their moments of more really profound lyrics but especially on this album these lyrics don't need a whole lot of like insights you listen to what they're saying and they're exactly what they're saying but even though this is a straightforward lyric i think sad but true proves that these lyrics can still have a lot of really like big weight and really good messages and themes despite that because sad but true being controlled by a vice I think, you know, it's not like the world's craziest song topic, but I think that Metallica execute this well enough and in this really kind of dark and foreboding style that really does suit them well. I really like Sad But True. It's, it's a great song to me on all fronts, and it's another great addition to the record. Uh, the next song, Holier Than Now, starts with a pummeling rhythm section. There's some little guitar embellishments on here that kind of remind me of... Uh, the immigrant song, the kind of the way they open, they kind of almost do the ba thing a little bit, but not not exactly. Um, rhythm guitar and bass carry the opening riff, which is solid enough. It's not as great as like Sad but True or Under Sandman, but you know it's Metallica, so you know their riffs never like just straight suck in my opinion. They're always always bearable. You can also hear distant touches of electronics in the background, which it's surprising for Metallica of all people, but I actually kind of like how it's incorporated in the song. I also love the instrumental breakdown that comes right at the end, the finale of the song. Um, just letting, really letting every part shine as it kind of like breaks down and then builds its way back up. Uh, holier than thou lyrics, kind of like I said before, are pretty simple. The sentiment is basically that people are going to judge you uh, and like them. You know, they're going to judge you and act like they're way better than you and that they know what they're talking about, but they don't. They're no better than you. They're going to act holier than thou, and they're imperfect, and their opinion really doesn't matter. Uh, it's a very, it, it feels kind of a very metal sentiment to kind of just be like, yeah, screw you. I don't like your opinion. You can go shove it. That kind of feels like a metal sentiment. It goes very well with aggressive music. Um, you know, not super complicated, but I think the musical style that they're employing on this makes it really work. And when, you know, the way they shout the chorus does feel pretty anthemic, you know, if you're in that situation, I think it would, it's a great, it would be a great song to relate to. It's, you know, not like a top favorite, but I think Holier Than Now is still a really great song on this record. 
next up, we've got The Unforgiven. So, I mentioned before that Enter Sandman was not my introduction. Uh, well, Unforgiven was. Unforgiven was the first Metallica song I really fell in love with. Um, and Unforgiven is definitely not, like, your standard Metallica song. But, it, but, but looking back at, like, my favorite Metallica songs, considering one of my, like, all-time favorites is Fade to Black, this kind of makes sense to me now that I look at it. Uh, it starts with an acoustic guitar intro with this short little solo over it, uh, as I kind of mentioned, kind of reminiscent of what they do on favor on uh, Fade to Black, except solo's not nearly as good or as long. Uh, the distortion is then turned up as we begin the verses. Uh, I really like the drumming on this song and how it keeps this song kind of steady. You know, you kind of get the sense through these lyrics and through the music that it's like, kind of a western-y thing, wandering through the thing, uh, wandering through, like, the desert to reclaim your vengeance or whatnot, uh, and I feel like this kind of steady walking tempo really works for this song. Um, I think the guitar solos also balance all this out very well. Um, I always have kind of a bias towards melodic guitar solos, and I think Kirk does a really great job when he is given the chance to do that, of giving us that emotional melody, but also this, like, vicious shredding. I think it really suits some of the instrumental choices and the somber lyrics instead of, like, this, like, really crazy fast solo. I think musically, all the layers of the instruments and the, and the effects, all the kind of things they try, the horn at the beginning, and just the acoustic guitar, everything, I think really make this instrumentally like my favorite moment on the entire album and personally this is probably my favorite song in the record um i think lyrically this is another really great song it tells the story of a very troubled man he's essentially brought in the world subdued by a system and forced to conform and struggle his way out of it how essentially this system dedicated their lives to running all of his and how his devotion has made him bitter and how he's breaking free all of these wrongs that he's experienced has made him dub this system unforgiven. Uh, Hedsfield's inspiration for the lyrics seems to have come after the death of his mother. Mem many members of his family wanted her to not get medical treatment. They convinced her not to get medical treatment, believing she should rely solely on her faith in God to save her. The, his the system that Hetfield seems to be mad at, personally, in Unforgiven, is religious religion, but realistically, the lyrics can apply to really anything. I mean, we're going to get more specifically into that relationship between Hetfield and religion on the back half of this record, but anyone who has ever felt oppressed by a higher figure, it could be like a bad boss, it could be like school, it could be something bigger like, I don't know, economic systems or racism or sexism or whatever you feel like is a big force that is crushing you down i feel like you could relate to unforgiven normally you know i like them being specific but i think unforgiven balances its vagueness but still makes it meaningful the lyrics still hit home even without the context and i think that's because of the imagery and the way that the singing complements and the lyrics complement the instrumentals and the way that all just marries together so nicely and you know obviously this was a huge hit for metallica i think after enter sandman you could argue this is the second biggest song off this album and i mean it was a big enough song to where it got two sequels uh on 
uh, reload and uh, death magnetic, which um, most people don't like those. My my hot Metallica take is that I loved Unforgiven two back in the day. I don't know how I feel about it now. Never liked three though. Um, but yeah, the uh, it's like the another brick in the wall trilogy, except they're not on the same album, and only one of them is good this time. But uh, joking aside, I really I really do love the Unforgiven. I think it's a great Metallica song. I know it's 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 definitely a little different than many people were made used to, but I think it balances that acoustic softness and thrashiness to a good level. It makes it one of my favorite Metallica songs ever. Wherever I May Roam is the next song, and it opens with a sitar that immediately kind of makes it uh, the riff stick out. I don't know if it's a sitar, but that's kind of what I got from it. Uh, and then you get a pause, just like we got before in a few other songs, and the full band breaks into riff. And honestly, you know, the Wherever I May Roam riff is another one of my favorites on the album. There's a consistently here that I think is really vital to the holding the song together, the way the riff moves along. And I like the way the bass keeps the driving tempo along with the song. I love also the way that the bridge allows Kirk to build onto the riff before giving us another great solo. The song, lyrically, is about a wanderer and how he must roam and how the journey is essentially all he knows. He lays his head when he, wherever he lays his head is home, you know, it's a story made more compelling as the lyrics shift from describing the hardship of the road life in kind of the first few verses where they describe kind of how hard and grueling it is out there, but then also expressing that there's freedom out there. It's kind of better than living, you know, a day-to-day -day in the rat race. It's better to just be wandering at your own whim, doing only what you want and going wherever you please, not having to be tied to any obligations and living a life that's all your own. It's a freedom that I know a lot of people crave and as the well kind of constructed lyrics kind of make it like seem hard but also something you kind of aspire to it almost I don't know uh it kind of reminds me in a way of like the Mandalorian I don't know why I'm getting that vibe off of it maybe because he doesn't really have a home and he just kind of wanders around and does what he wants but that that was kind of where my head went to on this record um on the song and I think this is another like really great highlight we get on this uh, the next song is called Don't Tread on Me. Uh, it's another mid-tempo thrasher like we have been pummeled with all over this record. Uh, the rhythm guitars and bass make this thing feel like kind of a tight, imposing march. So I was talking about earlier, it's pretty common for this record. Uh, it's a nice enough song. I just think it's one that's been much done better earlier on the album. I think, especially towards as we get towards the back half of this record, there's a lot of like mid-tempo rock songs on this thing that I just feel like musically were done better earlier on the record. Um, and while a lot of Metallica's earliest work doesn't waste like any time, they're like clean 45 minutes, uh, this, this is a bit of a longer record, and there's a few moments as we start kind of getting deeper into this album that I feel like we we could have maybe cut or done some change-ups because Metallica is really going into a new sound and I would have liked to see them experiment a little bit more. But, you know, a lot of songs, including Don't Tread On Me, they're not bad, they're just not, like, as instantly great as what we have seen before. Um, Still, you know, there's some interesting effects they use on James's voice and another great guitar solo, but then again, saying Kirk Hammond plays good guitar solo is like saying the grass is green. 
Uh, Don't Tread on Me is the closest thing on the Black Album we get to a title track, uh, because the phrase Don't Tread on Me is known today in the Gadsden flag. Uh, it's the yellow flag with the snake. It says Don't Tread on Me. Uh, you've probably seen it on the back of someone's uh, Ford F-150. Uh, the image dates back to the Revolutionary War. It's adorned on the front of the album. That's kind of why I said it was kind of like the title track. Uh, the rattlesnake became a symbol of the American Revolution after Ben Franklin used it in that Join or Die comic a cartoon that you probably studied in American history at some point, and it became famous. It has much more of a controversial reputation now. You know, back then it was basically like, American unification, don't tread on me British, or we will bite the crap out of you kind of thing. Uh, but its reputation has kind of been a little more dicey recently, as it's been used in a rallying cry in many groups um, to kind of threaten the government and the institution and kind of social changes in protection of like traditional conservative values. Um, you often see the Gadsden flag along with the Confederate flag and the blue stripe police flag. So it kind of, you know, gets lumped into those ideology to not tread on this traditional way of life. And I say traditional in a very, I guess I should say like conservative way of life. Um, and obviously I'm not trying to get into a political flame war about this, but that's always what I've got. And, the song is pretty true to form and enters a very similar, very patriotic, pro-traditional America sentiment. The song is lyrically kind of a who's who of American references. It's kind of interesting to go through the lyrics and see what we got. The opening guitar line uh, right at the beginning is the America medley from West Side Story, a popular musical. Uh, the Liberty or Death line uh, is from... The iconic Patrick Henry quote, give me liberty or give me death. Uh, what we so proudly hailed is ripped straight from the national anthem. And lots of other lines like this have been attributed like direct quotes from Ben Franklin in the meaning. You know, meaning wise, it's pretty all straightforward. We're America. We're great. We're awesome. Shut up and deal with it kind of stuff. Uh, it's a sentiment that probably wasn't as like super hot back in like 1990 but like in a post 9-11 world and living in the year of our lord 2021 people have very differing takes on this very gung-ho american patriotism so i could see this song and its message kind of rubbing people the wrong way you know, some people might find it as a cool anthem. Some people just might kind of find it as uncomfortable America worshipping. Uh, but either way, it's not like my favorite song on the album. It's okay. Uh, but the lyrics are, you know, regardless of your stance on the patriotism, it's kind of interesting to see how they piece all these, like, legitimate, like, quotes or references to different things in American culture together into this song. It's it's kind of an interesting little puzzle piece to uh, take a look at. Uh, th another thrasher is up as we move into the next song. I say thrasher kind of loosely. This is not a thrash metal record. But anyways, uh, Through the Never. Um, I actually really love the break the breaks thrown into the riff. Uh, the, there were just random pauses in there. I think it does a really interesting job of like breaking up the riff kind of making it stand out and i really like the lead line too overall you know musically like i said kind of with don't tread on me it's it's a little overshined by quite a bit of most of what we've already seen on this record and 
Lyrically, it's about mankind's place in the universe. These all-consuming, the all-consuming hunger we have to explore, even though we're never really going to truly understand it all. Because uh, the universe is infinitely expanding and all that. Overall, there's feels like not a whole lot can be said about this song that I haven't already said a million times before about a lot of other things on this album. If you like the sound of this album, you're going to like Through the Never. And I think lyrically, you know, it's an it's kind of interesting topic for Metallica to cover, but, you know, with their kind of straightforward lyrical style, there's nothing like really crazy in here. Lyrically, you know, there's not much wrong with Through the Never, but on an album as well known as this and with so many like highlights, especially towards the front end of this record, it just doesn't quite stand out. Next up, we are getting into Nothing Else Matters. This is another really big song off this record. Uh, it has proven to be one of the most enduring songs out of the entire album because, spoiler alert, uh, when we get to the blacklist, Nothing Else Matters is the song that the most artists chose to cover. Um, especially because there's a lot of things you can do with it. Uh, starting, it starts off with a song, acoustic guitar, you know, kind of like we got on Unforgiven. But Nothing Else Matters never explodes into that pure thrash or that pure aggression. Instead, it swells into each chorus with strings and strummed and cleans guitars. It gives the song a very cinematic feel that makes it stand out for the rest of the album. This is the least metal song on the record, and for that reason, it's probably one of the most divisive. In my opinion, though, everything here is incredible. Actually, I think the weakest part is James Hetfield singing. Uh, James is a metal singer, uh, so caring about melody and, like, carrying this melody and emotional singing is not really something he had to do a lot. I mean, a lot of these old Metallica records are just a lot of shouting. Um, slightly melodic shouting, but still shouting. Uh, and you can see that the kinks are still kind of being ironed out here, but it's not bad. Still, this is a highlight because of how incredible the instrumental is. I love Kirk's melodic playing. I love the risk they're taking with the strings and the instruments, the way these all swell together. It's a different style for Metallica. And in my opinion, I think they still prove it, pull it off fantastically. And it also stands out on the album because despite the depressing title of Nothing Else Matters, it is actually a love song. No matter, you know, the theme is that no matter what these two have going on, no matter what hardship, despite the pain, nothing else matters. Lyrically, instrumentally, you know, this is the most non-metal song on the track. I mean, it's a soft, sweeping love ballad on, a Meta on my Metallica album, like... You know, and I think they pull it off, you know, lyrically, you know, I don't know if this is one of my favorites, it's a pretty standard fare for a love song about two people that are just so happy to be together because they trust each other, they care, it's just this really honest and earnest relationship, but, you know, you can see how, like, Homeboy, who was, like, obsessed with, like, just getting in the mosh pits to Master of Puppets, maybe was not as you know, down for Metallica to be singing about their personal feelings over acoustic guitars. But I really like this song. Uh, Metallica's always really been good at ballads up until this point. Uh, and yeah, the lyrics are pretty basic and whatever, but I think the instrumental risks really pay off for here. It feels incredibly grand and epic. It's a really good track. And I think 
you know, Metallica's kind of cinematic quality has been proven with the SNM albums, the live albums they did with the San Francisco Orchestra. Um, I love those records. I love the renditions of the songs they do on those records. And I think that, you know, as I've listened to, you know, covers of this song for the Blacklist episode and just beyond, leaning into that cinematic quality is really cool for Metallica and really cool for this song in particular. I think it really gives an extra layer to this in a way that we haven't seen Metallica really work before. The next song is is called Of Wolf and Mandan. I'll be real honest, instrumentally, I really don't have a lot to say about this. This is kind of back to that standard fare. The riff is pretty standard, uh, but I do actually like the way, I like the specific inflection and melody that James uses for singing the verses. And the bridge is kind of similar to Enter Sandman with the kind of spoken word bit, but it doesn't really build as well into the chorus as Enter Sandman. Equal parts, I think, almost as ridiculous, but just not as you know, doesn't really fully lean on it. It's a pretty safe, straightforward song lyrically. Take a drink. Uh, Wolf and Man is about the transformation of a man into a werewolf. It's a bit more of a fantastical track, kind of like Enter Sandman, that really isn't out of line, I mean, in general, with the world of metal. This is not a unmetal concept to be doing a fantastical song. I mean, Ozzy Osbourne has a whole album called Howl of the Moon. And, you know, we've seen this kind of stuff all the time from, like, you know, specifically, like, the first ones that come to mind are, like, Iron Maiden and Dio and those people who sing about all sorts of fantasy stuff. But the only reason the song doesn't work for me lyrically is that Metallica still carries this with an air of seriousness to them in this song. Like, Enter Sandman is cheesy, but it's also a little campy. They kind of lean more on it. In that one, it feels a little more fun. This just kind of feels like the awkward middle point. For that reason, it just it doesn't fully lean into the cheese, which I feel like does the song a disservice. I just really don't have a lot to say here. Of Wolf and Man is not that memorable in the grand scheme of the album. It's you know once again it's a fine track. I think all these tracks you know nothing really like openly offends me here. But you know the Black album is so far the longest, and it kind of shows. So, Of Wolf and Man is maybe a song I would have liked to see them maybe replace or do something different with. Uh, the God That Failed, the next song in the album, is certainly the most lyrically intense song in the entire record. It's I mentioned the death of Hetfield's mother when I was talking about Unforgiven. Well, this song is entirely about that. As I mentioned, Hetfield's mother refused treatment to rely solely on God. Unfortunately, she passed away, and Hetfield is now very mad at God and institutionalized Christianity on how they failed and manipulated his mother, and how if she could have pursued treatment, it could have saved her life. You know, James's father was not really as big of a figure, so he doesn't really have both parents, and he's rightfully very upset and feeling very conflicted about this. He talks about how religion has corrupted the mind by making people rely on these otherworldly powers that James claims can't actually help you in your day-to-day life. It's a really deep and interesting message, very personal to hear from Metallica, regardless of whether you agree with it or not. And James really brings that personal rage in a way that we haven't really seen on this record. It mirrors more of the anger that drove these earlier records, like, you know, Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning and Kill Em All, 
but it also kind of ties in the more personal element that we're not used to seeing. Because, uh, you know, Metallica was not really a band known for, like, singing about their emotions. And this is kind of a, a middle ground lyrically between the two. Uh, so, in that way, I think it's a big highlight on the record. Musically, though, I think this just kind of drags a little bit. The riff chugs along pretty nicely, and it's appropriately dark for the subject matter of the song. You know, these dark, imposing metal songs are good for, you know, if there's one thing... Metal's very, very much likes to dog on Christianity a good bit. It's it's a pretty common theme. I mean, Ghost's entire personality is based on it. But, um, you know, these dark, imposing themes are good for metal. It pairs very well with the music. But, you know, I like enough of what's happening here lyrically, just instrumentally. This really doesn't do it for me. I really don't have a whole lot to say about it. My Friend of Misery is the next song, and I think it's kind of interesting considering this was supposed to be our customary Metallica instrumental. Most, pretty much every Metallica album has a just instrumental song. No lyrics, just instrumental. We got this on like, like, for example, I mentioned earlier, Call of Cthulhu on uh, Ride the Lightning. Of course, due to the direction the band took, they actually decided to put some lyrics to this one. And I really do like the lyrics here. Uh, we get on a look of kind of what we've seen already on, like, Wherever I May Roam. Somebody who's wandering alone and they're sad. You know, this isn't really a uncommon theme for this record. Well, the difference is this is told from an outside perspective. It's kind of condescending you know, in a way, almost. I don't. I mean, I like the song. I don't, I don't want to make that sound like a bad thing, but it's kind of condescending on people who are all in their feelings. It essentially tells you that you need to get out of your own head, stop wandering around and being miserable, because life is way bigger than it seems from the outset. As this was intended to be instrumental, though, the lyrics don't always take center stage, although I think they're good here, and I think it provides an interesting perspective on a very common song topic. I think the real highlight here is probably the best instrumental performance we get on the entire back half of this record. Um, first off, we open with a bass solo, which honestly, it just makes me happy because the band is giving Jason Newsted a moment to shine and Jason deserves better. Uh, he is so talented and he has not, he does not really get, get his due in Metallica all the time. He's kind of just put off to the side because, oh, he's not Cliff. No, Jason is very good. And this is a very great, really great solo here that he gives a great performance all on this record, especially on this song. And it's very obvious he's incredibly talented, even though lots of the contributions he could have made were neutered. Uh, and James and Kirk also have great guitar solos here. Uh, they wind in and out in a way that reminds me kind of of the old, kind of classical-esque progression of the old records. Uh, they shred and harmonize with the best. Uh, they play off each other very well. And the drumming does a good job of holding this whole thing together. For a seven-minute song, it kept me interested the entire time. It's a surprise, especially this late in the record, but it's a welcome one. And our final track here is The Struggle Within. Uh, Struggle Within starts with like a marching band-esque snare uh, that eventually builds up into silence, then a drop into the main riff that we have heard a thousand times all over this record. Um... Lyrically, we get the story of a literal struggle within. It's not really clear what this struggle within, but 
like I said on Tra Sad But True, the band is going through so much at the time that it could be a variety of things. Just kind of the idea of somebody mentally having to fight a battle that's not physical, you can't physically deal with it, they have to work it out in their head. And sometimes those are the hardest battles to fight. They're not clear, they're just there, and you just have to deal with them. Solos are great, riffs are pretty good, but honestly, not a whole lot to say here. As we close out the record, that's the end of the record, the end of the Black Album. And my entire thesis on the Black Album is that Metallica's transition to hard rock actually goes over better than I think many metal fans are going to give it credit for, or do give it credit for. Unfortunately, the classic Metallica that people love to talk about is no more. My hot take is that Injustice for All is a vastly overrated record. I think it's not as good as the Black Album. I think it fails to meet the heights of Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, and it's a show that, you know, in a way, maybe without Burton or just in general because they had been running that gambit for so basically a whole decade, it shows me that that era of Metallica has run its course. The idea bin is empty. They're done with that. And it's more evidenced by how they have not caught grasp that classic sound since the 80s you know they've they've made records like death magnetic they, they attempted to be throwbacks but they just don't work nearly as well i know those records have their fans but they're not they're not to the level that they were back then because i think that was an attitude there was an attitude to those records that was important in the moment and i don't know if metallica is ever going to recapture that sound again i'm not saying that they can't make something with that quality i'm just saying sound wise i don't really know metallica on the black album feels like honestly one of the last times the band ever feels truly inspired to me after this you know if you had to put me in a camp i would be put in the camp of listen through the black album after that you should be careful um to me the genuine excitement to try this new style of songwriting is what makes this record good and is what gives birth to a quality album. There's some really solid rock tunes on here, and Metallica, selling out or not, puts together some of the most well-known and iconic rock songs of all time. I mean, they prove that maybe this lane doesn't have much staying power as the end of the record kind of fades out and, you know, you start to worry a little bit of how long they can keep this up, but still, it's good. And obviously, people are going to argue all the time about when Metallica sold out. The first people are going to accuse them at one, or people are going to accuse them at the Black Album or the Napster incident, which, I mean, I tend to side with the Napster incident as the real sellout moment. Uh, but there's a lot to really like over the course of the Black Album. I think these songs have stuck for a reason. And while numbing down their sound doesn't always work, especially at the end, and I don't think this is nearly as good as their old records, which I feel like I've spent half this review talking about. The Black Album is still worth a listen. It's not thrash metal, no, but it's a hard rock album. It's pretty darn solid, and if you've steered away from this record due to a love of the old Metallica, go and listen to it again, and you might actually like a lot of what's going on. And if you like some of the singles and you've never really gotten into metal, I think this will serve as a decent entry point into the wonderful world of heavy metal, you know, listening to this, and then maybe trying their older records and getting into more of, you know, the, quote, real heavy metal. But, you know, real heavy metal is a myth. Metal is whatever you make it. That's your, that's my TED Talk for today. Uh, so thank you all for letting me and listening to me ramble about the Black Album 
try not to bring up why the lightning and master of puppets at any given opportunity. Uh, once again, this podcast is still a learning experience for me, especially as I felt like I was repeating myself and running out of ideas at the end there. But anyways, uh, as I mentioned at the top, my goal is to do a review of the blacklist, which includes covers of all the songs by a array of, array of different artists. If you like the black album, you won't want to miss it. And if you also love heavy metal, which if you're listening to a review of the black album, I, I, I'm going to take a gander and say you might. I've also done reviews of Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath and The Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden that you can find in the same place you found this review. Uh, and once again, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you can, you know, recommend this podcast to your friends, leave a review, whatnot, all of that is open, you know, and much appreciated. I have an Instagram account, uh, Depths of Music Podcast, something like that, if you type it into Instagram, hopefully it should show up. Uh, and honestly, I have no idea where we're going for the next episode. Uh, I've got a lot of ideas floating around the head, so... Once again, we are just kind of playing this game out as it goes. So thank you again for listening, everyone, and I hope to see you again soon.